This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. His name is Matt Harper, and he is the CEO of The Marketing Practice. If you are at all curious about the state of B2B marketing, the massive fragmentation of agencies at the moment, private equity in the agency space, and just the market opportunity for agencies right now who are able to effectively move marketing away from their silos and deliver really great integrated services to clients who want to track marketing's effectiveness all the way from this creative campaign that we did at the top of the funnel, all the way to the performance marketing stuff at the bottom, then seriously, look no further because this is just an absolutely fascinating conversation about all of those things. Matt joins the company in 2012 as a planning exec, straight out of university. Very early on, he had a great opportunity to set up the US team, which he ended up doing really, really well. And really, that set him on a path to becoming the CEO of TMP today. Just a fascinating story. He's got a really interesting perspective about how to build great content teams and how he applies that thinking to how agencies in general should be recruiting and holding on to their talent. This is just a wonky, fascinating, really deep dive conversation with a super smart, pragmatic, and really conscientious CEO who's just making uh, fantastic strides and inroads at the moment. If you're interested in anything to do with B2B marketing and the future of it, then strap yourself in because this is the conversation for you. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Matt Harper. Matt Harper is the CEO of The Marketing Practice. With their recent acquisitions, they are now one of the leading full funnel B2B agencies in the world. He previously ran the agency's US operation prior to becoming group CEO. His goal is to develop a team that's best in the world at B2B marketing, deliver a blend of local expertise and global scale that helps clients grow customers, pipeline and partner channels. The company has recently made two significant acquisitions, Omobono, the digital experience company, the B2B brands and Kingpin Communications, the B2B communications specialist to make them a powerhouse collective of B2B specialists. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Matt Harper, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you on the show. Let's get into your background before we get into the rest of the technical stuff. You got your BA from Oxford University in history and modern languages. And that sounds to me like a degree that you do when you have no idea what you want to do with the rest of your career. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, you sound a bit like my dad there. <laughs> uh, that's what he said. I mean, it's true, isn't it? You know, you, you sort of follow your passions, which for me were history and French is what I did, without really a clear idea. Um, I suppose 10, 15 years on, I post-rationalized that as a, an early love of communication, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Human behavior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, understanding human beings, how they act, how they think, how they communicate. Sure. And that ge that generally was what interested me about it. I think in hindsight, I probably couldn't have put my finger on it at the time. But the communication piece was really interesting to me, and I, I sort of discovered the advertising world at first. Applied for the some of the grad schemes like at Saatchi, etc., and then found the broader marketing world and and this company called the Marketing Practice, which is just the company that I now run. Mm. Um. And didn't really know anything about it and what it was all about, really. Didn't really understand in detail what marketing did, but knew it was about communication and knew that the kinds of skills that I'd built, the passions that I would that I had uh, would, would play to that. So you became CEO of the marketing practice in April 2020. Really interesting time to start as the CEO. Tell us a little bit about the milestones that led you to where you were in your career to that point. Yeah, you know, when I, when I started the company and, and in the industry, my real early experiences were driven around strategy and, and leading client strategy for for some of some of the biggest clients that we had. So clients like Salesforce and some of our financial services clients, and that was a really interesting beginning because it, it's a bit of a sort of end to end immersion in the marketing world. You know, you're you're learning about audiences, you're learning about data and insight you're creating strategy, you're very client facing. And I think that's where I learned the most really was actually having to 
quite early on in my career, interact with clients, engage with clients. And that was my first few years. And, and what happened was I sort of became a bit of a frustrated strategist, I suppose, where I was doing all this, what I thought, what I thought was great strategy work. You know, I was handing that over and, and working closely with the creative team. And I was sort of always frustrated by the, the quality of what came back, or maybe not the quality, but the, um, the depth of what came back, particularly from a content and copywriting perspective. You know, it never felt like it really matched up to the audience and the insights. So I guess my first sort of big career move was, was I set up uh, the marketing practices content team. So I ran a team of copywriters for a few years and really focused on how do we get a content team and a copy team to really understand strategy and audiences and engage with that as deeply as a strategist would and then translate that into the language and the content that is going to engage those audiences Hmm. so i really enjoyed that i sort of pushed the boundaries a little bit with that in terms of hiring people from different backgrounds you know not just going down the tried and tested route of finding agency copywriters you know i hired someone who who came from more of a consumer background she's now gone gone on to be a a children's author uh, Hmm. a very successful children's author Um, hired someone who who was working in a local government setting you know writing and amending and refining policies and procedures so again quite different but you know he had a real technical understanding a real intelligence about everything that he did you know wanted to push outside the box a bit to create a a copy team that was that was going to be unique and going to bring the value it needed Mm. so that was my first sort of big uh role if you like and then a few years after that, the opportunity came up to move out to the States. Um, and Clive, the, the founder of TMP, gave me that opportunity at a time when, frankly, I had absolutely no right to, <laughs> to get it, you know, to, to move to the side of the world, be the MD of an agency, albeit the agency at that point was like three people and I was one of them. Mm. So it wasn't, you know, at that point, an expansive role. <laughs> a huge trust that he put in me to go and set up the business out there. And initially that was for Microsoft because... We'd won a big project with Microsoft out in Seattle. And my job was really to build the team around that, you know, diversify the client base. Um, So involved quite a lot of sales efforts, client development efforts, then build the team and the capability to deliver on that. And and to do that on the West Coast, when you're sort of eight hours time difference from HQ was sort of extra difficult. Sure. Um, So that's what I did there for for sort of three, four years and, and grew that team to about 30, 40 people as it was sort of in March 2020. And I think it was through doing that and having that experience that I built, you know, maybe not the full requisite capability to be a CEO, but certainly showed my passion for it. And, um, you know, when, when Clive was the owner of TMP, got to a point where he's fully excited about the agency, but didn't want to be the CEO anymore, didn't want to run the business day to day, wanted to play a different role. Hmm. Um, and so sort of the stars aligned at that point in terms of the opportunity for me. So Clive gave you the opportunity to become CEO. It, it sounded as though you'd more than earned it, you know, growing the capability of the team over on the West Coast and, and doing all those amazing things that you did in the early stages of, of the business, which is fantastic. I assume Clive is now more chairman. Um, tell us a little bit more about his role uh, in the company and sort of how close do you work with him? And yeah. what was the brief that he gave you when you ultimately assumed the role of CEO? It's interesting. We never had a detailed conversation about what is the overall objective. It, I think it was almost just assumed because we were so well aligned on what the vision for the agency was and what we wanted to achieve for the clients. It was really more about how we do it. And, and he gave me incredible amount of latitude to, to decide how we would do it, You know, how we would structure the team, where we would invest and develop. Um, so, so it was a really broad brief from that perspective, which, which really you know, played to my, what what excited me really um, about about the opportunity, and you know that does that does link to what what Clive wanted to do in the sense that he very much wanted to be more a part of driving the strategy of the business and the the high level vision, um, and have the time and headspace to do that, which is difficult when you're running the business day to day. So he he saw his role as being almost like an advisor and a guide to me, which is which is what he's been ever since. Hmm. Um, but also to stay heavily involved in some of the clients, which is another part of that, which is, you know, to really understand where the business needs to go and what the strategy should be. You have to understand what clients are looking for. So he's played a key role the last couple of years with 
some of our big clients like Verizon and Xerox, um, where he's he's really built close relationships with our clients that have allowed him to, you know, stay in touch with what they need and, and feed that back into the strategy. So he's still he's still very heavily involved. Um, you know, when we sold the business in earlier this year to Horizon Capital, um, you know, he moved into more of a kind of non-exec role as a part of that. But he's you know as involved as he was before then, and if anything, actually even more passionate about it because he mm. can do that from more of a, a almost like a purist mindset of <laughs> not being involved in the day to day clutter that comes with running a business, which right. which I, which you know which I'm happy for him about. Yeah, he's got that objectivity, mm. uh, which is which is really interesting to have. So let's so let's talk about the the two recent acquisitions that you made. Uh, talking about the you know staying close to your client and understanding kind of what clients need and, and want as you mentioned Omobono and Kingpin Communications two huge B2B agencies that are just really well respected and I've known about for many many years um, what was the market opportunity that you guys saw at the time that you make such a bold move? It starts a bit before those two really so I touched there briefly on how we sold the company to, to a private equity firm, Horizon Capital. And really the, the vision there and the plan there was recognizing that the market as a whole, and, and by the market, I mean B2B marketing specifically in the agency landscape in particular, has matured so much the last few years. It's taken a lot more seriously. The, the budgets in the industry are going up, you know, between 10 and 15% every year. A lot of that growth is in the area that we're particularly focused on. So account-based marketing, you know, more sort of mid to lower funnel uh, growth driving activity, which is, which has really been, you know, what we were founded on. So we've been quite fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And this maturing, we could see resulting in a, a certain amount of consolidation in the market in, in the next few years, particularly accelerated by the pandemic. And we realized we sort of had the choice between do we want to lead that consolidation and take a leading role in it? Or do we want to join forces and, and throw in with, you know, one of the big um, mm. group network agencies? Um, and, um, you know, for various reasons, we decided to go down the former route. And um, a founding principle of that was recognizing that there are a whole load of businesses out there like Emma Bono and Kingpin that have you know, that have the same kind of focus and specialism that we have, that they're purely B2B focused. That's what they live and breathe and they have done for 20, 25 years, but they have different and complementary capabilities to us. You know, Omar Bono is a digital experiences expert and, and we're not that, you know, digital is, has not historically been a strength of ours. Um, Kingpin is a real media and audience insight and data expert. And again, you know, TMP has never really touched the media space in, in what we do. So it's almost like I kind of compare it to almost like finding you've got these long lost siblings that, <laughs> that you kind of, you know, you've got the same DNA, you know, you've got the same kind of underlying beliefs and values and focus, mm. but you've just grown up in different environments. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's nice. It's really, it's been really interesting. So, so, you know, it might seem like a bold move, but it's a move that you know, from day one has just made absolute sense to us. So, so does that mean that that when you've come together, it's just been like you've known each other your whole lives, and it's been seamless and easy, and uh, and quite and just like a big family reunion. There are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of things here that I guess that are still to be decided. Things such as you know who who leads um, the new brand. Will a new brand or name be created? Who will you know? Will you lead with? TMP or will it be some combination of the three? I guess there's still a lot of conversations to be had around kind of what the future of the brand looks and feels like. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and the dynamic at the moment is that, you know, TMP is the business that has done the acquiring. So inherently we're sort of leading the journey and I'm I'm leading the journey. But what we realized quite quickly was that A, all three businesses have outstanding management teams with brilliant experience and capability again quite complementary in terms of that experience so it would be remiss if we just said right yeah you know tmp is going to lead the way they're going to develop the strategy and everyone's just going to fall in line mm. so we've been quite deliberate about actually making that a combined effort and really making sure that everyone across those management teams feels 
feels like they're, they're defining the journey together um, and they can be as excited about it as, as one another. Um, what that means from a brand perspective, we don't fully know yet. You know, our, our kind of default assumption has been we well, we'll, we'll certainly be one brand, I think, because that's important. It's important that we integrate capability as well as the brand and actually realize value for our clients. You know, we don't end up being some sort of group collective with silos. Yeah. Um, That's the reason why you decided to do what you're doing instead of going down the network route in the first place so that you can make sure that you're not siloed because that's one of the challenges, I guess, that uh, a lot of clients communicate. The fact that they're having to deal with, you know, the ABM team, the direct marketing team, the, you know, go down the list. And none of the teams really know what the other teams are doing, what the, what the other sellers are doing. So hence the reason why you're consolidating. Is that is that one of the, the main drivers in the first place? Yeah, it's exactly that. And it's exactly why we, we went down this, this kind of model, the private equity model of bringing the businesses together in our own terms, rather than joining one of those more, those broader group network agencies where I think the model inherently always is going to foster those silos that they're buying so many businesses so regularly you can't truly integrate them. And at the scale that we're working, you know, we're still going to be really, you know, really significant in terms of scale, but we're not, we're not at that level of a um, publicist or a dental agent or whoever. So, so we really can integrate uh, the capability to the benefit of the clients in a much more deliberate way. Could you, could you give us an example of what this means for a client in the, in the real world, what this consolidation between the three of you actually delivers in terms of outputs and outcomes for a client? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the whole objective for us is delivering stronger, more reliable, more consistent growth outcomes for our clients. You know, all of our programs collectively that we run are ultimately about driving not just pipeline, but conversion and sales, um, and, and even then the right types of sales and then, you know, customer growth, et cetera. So that's our that's our kind of north star, and um, what the what the combined capability gives us, as well as future acquisitions that we will make and future developments that we'll make, is a breadth of capability that gives us more options for how we achieve those goals. So so we can be more focused on who's the audience, you know, how are we going to engage them, what's the right way to engage them, getting into the market, learning what is working, what isn't working, and, and we've almost got you know not necessarily not maybe not an unlimited set of options for how we can engage that audience and nurture them, but close to that. Whereas I think in isolation, each agency hasn't had that. You know, the, the, the solutions that we would propose to clients have inherently been more about the capability we have, what we can deliver on, what we know. And this broadens that horizon significantly, which means those outcomes that clients are looking for, we can have much more confidence than our ability to deliver them um, and to deliver them and, and to improve them over time as well. So for a client, it really is about that continual improvement in, in, their, in their growth outcomes driven by marketing. And you said one of the drivers here was, you know, the fact that you're focused, all three of the um, brands, TMP, Kingpin and Omobona are focused on that mid to bottom of the funnel sort of uh, execution for the client. But what about the top of the funnel and top, top of the funnel? Because we know that, you know, brand decisions and, and purchase decisions are increasingly there's a lot more data and evidence to you know to suggest the fact that we are far more emotional than we are rational human beings and, and b2b have been sadly kind of lacking uh when it's come to really understanding the emotional drivers that that behind really big you know purchase decisions in many ways for a cmo of a large organization if they're making a, a software decision that's hundreds of thousands of pounds and millions of pounds that's a very emotional decision what do people think of me what happens if it goes wrong am i going to get that promotion these are very emotional drivers how much of your thinking is devoted towards that top of the funnel brand building emotion create you know using creativity to appeal to our innate human emotions that have been with us for millions of years as opposed to the more rational drivers of our decision making well, firstly, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And, and I often say that I think, you know, B2B decision making is, and I think there's certainly some stats that I wish I could quote right now about B2B decision making being, being actually more emotion driven than B2C decision making. Mm. But I think often the, the reality is it's different emotions. 
Um, it is, you know, as you pointed out, it's it's fear, it's pride. Um, it's often slightly different emotions than, than where you make consumer decisions. And, and you do have to lean into that and understand that in order to communicate effectively. But but I think as to how we as to how we think about that, you know, when I say we've got a sort of lower to mid funnel focus, that's very much the TMP heritage. But certainly Owen Bono and Kingpin look across the funnel. Um, you know, Owen Bono have more brand capability in terms of the creative side. Um, Kingpin from a media and performance marketing perspective are looking right through the funnel. Um, and so, you know, a key offering here is being able to join up the dots between those things. Um, I think, you know, we will never be a brand agency. We will never go to, uh, partly that's the, you know, the nature of the clients we work with. We will never go to um, Salesforce and lead the development of a rebrand for them. For example, that's not, you know, that's not where we are and that's not, that's not the type of agency that we are. But when it comes to activating the brand, when it comes to understanding you know, once you've got those those brand fa- brand foundations, how are you promoting them? How are you engaging audiences around the brand? And in particular, how are you creating the right experiences for them? Hmm. Um, that's that's where we will excel. Um, and importantly, doing that right through the funnel, so you can connect everything you're doing from a you know high level perspective um, right through to what you're doing in you know sales engagements, sales enablement. You know, often those things don't reflect one another. If you looked at a client's sales enablement content and then you compared it to the big brand campaign they would look like different businesses and therefore you lose value because you're creating brand equity at the top of the funnel but you're not using that brand equity effectively when it comes to really matter uh, which is which is at the sales end so there's a big opportunity there for us to help clients Let's talk a little bit about private equity. Um, you decided to go with horizon horizon capital they're they're the p firm. Um, that you that you sold to we've been speaking to a lot of people on the show recently who have been telling us that there's a huge amount of private equity um, money around at the moment for um, the right sort of marketing agencies Um, and it's a space that is increasingly growing why did you decide to go with horizon capital what did the sale process look like some people say that it's sometimes quite arduous and uh, and quite and quite challenging. What was the experience like for you, and and why did you decide to go with them? Well, we'd it was quite serendipitous, really. We we hadn't even by by the point we we met Horizon, we hadn't even decided that was the right route for us. We were still considering our options, and it was really meeting Horizon that pushed us over the edge into it because we'd had a mutual connection, you know, a, a contact of Clive's who um, is the chairman of. Um, some horizon, a couple, well, another horizon business, and um, he introduced us just to just to meet them and understand a bit more about the model. And really, from the first meeting, we we were really surprised by how they came across compared to what we expected. You know that there is that kind of reputation that private equity has, and you sort of expect some ogre to walk into the room <laughs> and uh, pour over your spreadsheets and right. sort of you know redline them. <laughs> And that's not at all what happened, actually. You know, they, they they really wanted to understand the business inside out, people, clients. They really showed that they understood the market. They'd done a lot of research into the market and they didn't have it all right, but they knew a hell of a lot, actually, um, having come from, you know, a, a more of a tech background that Horizon has. Um, and they really were clear about their intent. You know, they're very honest about what matters to them, what doesn't matter to them. And all the way through the process, as we explored it further, it all checked out, you know, as we, as you have difficult conversations about structures and the future, as I did referencing to talk to CEOs and CFOs of their other businesses and, you know, found out what it was like when times got tough or you had a bad quarter, how do they react? Sure. It really started to check out. So we just ended up, you know, thinking actually, you know, the opportunity is 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 right now with this and we've got a partner in front of us that we think can really work so let's go for it um and and you know touch wood so far it's it's absolutely panned out how we expected the process itself was i mean it is painful but i think any time that you sell or get investment into a business it's, it's going to be painful um and you know i I think you just have to knuckle down and get through that really. Mm. Um, and I think, I, I hope that once you've done it once, it becomes easier in the future. And certainly from going from, you know, seller into buyer in the space of about two months 
uh, when we then went on and bought Kingpin and Oma Bono shortly after, I tried really hard to make sure that what I learned from selling, I applied to the process when we went to buy sure. and, and to make it as comfortable as it possibly could be for the for Kingpin and Oma Bono because, you know, it is, it is difficult and there's not much you can do about that. Sure. So talk to me about the vision then of TMP over the next few years. Um, let's say over the next sort of five years, lay out for us sort of the roadmap or the plan as you see it, as far as sort of delivering this new integrated service offering into your clients, how do you see the landscape evolving and what role do you see yourselves playing over the next five years in the market? Yeah. I mean the, the North star uh, we touched on briefly, you know, the North star about growth outcomes and driving growth for clients. Um, and you know, there's, there's really three things that when, when we kind of translate that into what we call our mission, you know, what are the things we need to do to deliver on that, on that expectation? There's, there's three things that form a part of it. So the first one is, is creating the right service model. We, you know, we've started to colloquially refer to it as the growth platform. Um, and, and that in our minds is a capability set that we need, that we, you know, that we've built a certain amount of, but we all need to continue to build, particularly um, in the marketing operations and MarTech space, we need more capability there. And more importantly, there's a geographic element to that. You know, we need greater scale in the US and in Asia Pacific in particular um, to realize that vision for our clients uh, because that's where they need us to be. So there's a capability element, but there's also a packaging solution service model element to that, which we're working on, um, which looks at how can we how can we disrupt the way that agencies work today and the way that they contract today, which I think I still think inherently doesn't make sense for where the world is. And there's this little pocket of kind of marketing advertising agencies and uh, as an industry that has got lost in the times of how, um, you know, commercial models have moved on. Um, so we, we want to really look at that and, and innovate around that as to how it relates to client value. So packaging up that kind of growth platform is is the first part of it. And, and there's various milestones along the way as to building the capability. And then a big part of that is integrating that capability into one, one operating model that realizes value for clients. The second sort of core pillar is, is the clients themselves. We are really clear on the types of partners that we want from a client perspective, where we play to our strengths. And, you know, we'll have, we have a roadmap for how we're going to and develop the right relationships with our clients over that period of time. And that means focusing on a smaller number of clients as makes sense uh, for, the, for, the, for the agency we want to be, but focusing on having a fewer numbers of larger clients that will allow us to build this platform model around them and really dedicate and focus time because we know that's where we do our best work when we have larger clients that we can really build teams and, and capability around. And then the third bit is um, is talent. So we have a kind of mission statement to be the place to build a career in B2B marketing. That's our desire. There's a real talent problem in our market. The you know, demand far outstrips supply uh, for various reasons. And we see that, therefore, as both a, a sort of threat and a risk, but it's also a huge opportunity. If we can build the right platform, people platform, to create a model to bring people into the industry to train them um it's going to be a huge differentiator for us so so that play that building the place to build a career in the, in the industry is is a core part of our mission as well god there's so much there for us to unpack <laughs> we're gonna take. be here for like <laughs> another hour um okay so fascinating to hear you say that you're innovating around the commercial model because agencies have historically build in a certain way can you expand on that um, yeah, the, the, there's a there's a couple of elements of it. So, um, the the core principle is, yeah, I think the traditional agency model of you know hours and projects. I mean, to be fair, I say I say the industry's been left behind. There's certainly more, you know, certainly other agencies, other people thinking about this. We're not the only ones, but the traditional model of project based, hours based, just encourages the wrong behavior from an agency. Um, it encourages you to staff up, to build time, to, to focus on outputs, not outcomes. Um, and I think there is a model to be created in our, in, in B2B marketing in particular, 
that focuses more on on value creation and outcome creation and and value based pricing even as a as a model is you know you either love it or you hate it but in what we do where the value means growth and sales and profit growth for our clients you know it it genuinely can and should work um to to create a model that that plays to that so um yeah, there's a, there's a model there that we want to explore that focuses on how we tie, how we contract to the outcomes we create for our clients. Mm. That really, really holds us accountable for the, um, for the promise, you know, the brand promise and what we're all about, but brings value to our clients. And then, and the second part of that is about being focused on the long term, um, and that that is a difficult thing because a lot of our clients, their budgets work over quarters or at best kind of financial years they don't really have visibility you know, beyond those kinds of horizons but if we can build a model that gives us more long-term security we know and we see that see it in our data and in, in our client performance that that's when we do our best work and create the best outcomes because as an agency you stop worrying about well where's next what's next quarter's budget going to look like and you know can we afford to staff up the team to deliver because what if it you know drops off a cliff next quarter and you start worrying about how are we going to demonstrate the value to this client and how are we going to make sure that when you know, the business comes to look at the contract again at the end of the year, you know, they're seeing the right outcomes. So it gets you completely aligned with where the business, the client's business wants to go. So that those are a couple of the areas that we want to explore in more detail. That's really exciting. And I'm sure tying your fees to outcomes or compensation is something that's like super attractive to your clients because I'm sure they want to get better visibility of of what's being spent and what's coming back in. And, you know, for B2B agencies, that I guess that's where uh, you sort of pride yourselves a lot more because it's, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of measure the performance of what we're doing relative to a brand campaign, for instance, or a consumer campaign. It's harder to, to measure um other other elements of marketing maybe at the top of the funnel but i'm sure that's really attractive to a lot of your clients that you're that you're speaking to um talk to us as well a little bit about the talent component to this because this is something that so many agencies have mentioned um there seems to be a massive supply problem right the demand is there we need agency businesses are people businesses at the end of the day. And if we can't get the right talent into our, our businesses, then we all, all struggle. Um, how are you thinking about, first of all, what do you think are the factors that are contributing to that? And then second of all, what are you doing to attract and retain the best talent to grow TMP for the future? Yeah, I mean, the, the factors that contribute long-term, long-term, there just aren't pathways into our industry. And I mean that from a B2B marketing specific standpoint. The industry has no profile in the broader world, really, unlike, say, B2C and advertising and that kind of thing. Um, there's no recognized big players that attract talent just by their name. You know, going back to what I said about when I was looking for jobs, I applied for the Saatchi grad program and that kind of thing just because I'd heard of them and someone, you know, didn't even know what they did, but I'd heard of them. There's, n- there's nothing like that in our industry and it creates a real lack of pathways in from a young young people perspective but also then when you think about going coming across from other from other industries you know there's then a reputational side that comes with that of people coming from b2c into b2b and is it really where the best work is and am i going to really enjoy it and the reality is that when you think about how much of what we do is driven by tech and when you when i interview people and talk about the clients we work with they get they get really excited like well yeah of course I want to work with Microsoft and um, you know Amazon and businesses like that or niche you know sustainability tech players who are really doing interesting things in Silicon Valley or whatever you know it's really interesting mm. but we don't do enough to promote that as an industry so so the, the I think that's the bigger bigger piece the, the short term piece is that I think during the pandemic we've lost talent as well out of the industry where I think um, for agencies as a whole you know we've always known that agency work can be hard and high pressure. Um, and I think that has been extra difficult for people during the pandemic coping with that because one of the reasons that you join an agency and why you stay at an agency is the culture and the community and the sense of togetherness that you get from it, which I think is harder to get client side, particularly from an enterprise perspective. But that's been 
harder during the pandemic as well. You know, there hasn't been as much of a sense of community and connection, no matter how hard we as leaders try to create that. So there's a short-term problem as well as a long-term problem. And then when you add on that the the industry is growing as much as it is, you've got a bit of a sort of problem from both ends. So, you know, I think think you have to take those in turn really and, and our plan is to focus on them in turn. So, you know, start by creating the pathways. You know, how do we... How do we create a model that encourages people in from a young age that that offers them an experience that can then define their future career and get them excited about a future career? And how do we, you know, make ourselves into a brand that is really attractive for people and that does to start the process of getting people into the industry organically? How have you thought about the furlough part of this? Because even though there's a lot of um, there's a dearth of talent out there in the market now, because furloughs coming to an end a lot of people are saying that there will be you know the agencies that aren't that haven't been well run there will be talent available on the market because those agencies won't be able to keep a hold of them anymore because they've been uh kept afloat through the furlough scheme which is now coming to an end so there's an argument to say that actually um in the not too distant future there will be more talent available on the marketplace how do, how do you think about the way that the furlough scheme plays into this. Oh, I hope you're right. I hope, <laughs> I don't mean that that sounds callous. I, I mean, it, I hope you're right in the sense that, you know, I really hope there is lots of talent in the, coming into the market because if you're listening, <laughs> we've got, we've got about 50 roles live at the moment. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think you're right. And I think I, I do really feel for the agencies who, whose client base has been dependent on retail and hospitality and travel and you know that's really tough because we got incredibly lucky you know the one industry that continued to boom if not boom even more during the pandemic was tech sure maybe farmer as well i suppose so we got really lucky with that and um you know i think we probably will start to see the the impact of that but certainly i think in our industry in, in b2b in general not just those that focus on tech almost every agency i talk to is desperate to hire qualified people and is finding it really difficult and in particular it's difficult because their need is immediate you know the the client opportunity is here right now so it is really hard to take people in from other industries or straight out of college or university because um you know you've got a six to 12 month lead time on on their effectiveness and productivity so mm. it's a there's a short term thing there, which which hopefully, if there is a, a you know a group of people coming into the market, that will help. Let's let's talk a little bit about clients and client expectations. I mean, what what have you noticed, especially in the last sort of eighteen months, about what clients are now asking for from you, uh, what clients are asking for from agencies in general, and how have their priorities or their challenges changed as far as it relates to kind of B two B tech in the last sort of eight, 12 to 18 months, how has their world changed and, and how has that affected what they're asking for from you? I, th- I think their objectives haven't shifted fundamentally. They've just accelerated. I mean, the, the trend in our market the last 10 years has been towards greater accountability. You know, marketers being accountable for, for business outcomes, owning sales numbers quite often, uh, which wasn't there 10 years ago. Um, and and that certainly during the pandemic, you know, we saw a few clients, you know, reduce their budgets, cut back, and and the bits they they focused in on and invested in even more were the bits that they could demonstrate return around. So that's certainly accelerated as a trend in general. Um, I think I think there's a softer side to it though, which is during the pandemic, client intimacy reduced in some areas. Um, you know, you weren't able to spend as much time with clients. Clients were dealing with their own stuff, homeschooling and whatever. Sure. Um, and that was a challenge for agencies because you rely on that client intimacy to A, you know, do your job fundamentally and understand the client and their needs, but B, to, to enjoy your job. Um, and, and we lost a bit of that. But I think that's, that's starting to increase um, now. you noticed that in recent weeks, actually, that as things have relaxed and people have been meeting up in person, client intimacy is, is improving. Um, and I think with that combined with the accountability piece, you almost end up in a bit of a kind of therapist role sometimes with your clients. <laughs> and that, that's something I've noticed over the last couple of years that, you know, you, it, and it's not a bad thing really that you, you really do become someone that the client can confide in and, and, and share their, 
personal pressures, you know, work pressures um, with. And, you know, that that's a good thing because, you know, hopefully they're turning to people who can actually help with them. Um, and it also means it, it's easier for our teams to sort of understand, you know, when you get a snappy reply to an email or a bit of bad feedback on some copy, you know what's going on for that client and, and you can, you know, you can roll with the punches a bit more. Hmm. If you could only pick one metric for the business over the next few years that you would improve over time, what would what metric would have the greatest, I guess, most sustainable impact on on the growth of TMP? Um, it's attrition, staff attrition. Mm. Um, that that is the that is the the one because for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, contextually, it's it's one that's going to be really challenging because of all the dynamics we just talked about. So it's going to be even harder to keep attrition within a reasonable, um, a reasonable threshold. Um, uh, but also because it is fundamental to scale. You know, if we can keep our attrition in, you know, below twenty percent, ideally below fifteen percent, um, then you are constantly, when you focus on growing the business, you're building on such a strong foundation of knowledge and experience. Um, so, so that that for me is is the metric that. Um, I care about more than more than more than anything else in terms of, you know, what's going to drive growth in the business and, mm. and and support support making it sustainable. Uh, and what do you see is the key way of sort of driving down that attrition? Is it sort of greater sort of uh, emphasis around the culture and the values and the mission of the of the business that will kind of embody and embolden everyone to kind of galvanize them? I mean, what do you see as the main way to drive down that number? I think it's hard to put your finger on one, but but I think I think you're right in saying one of the biggest ones is about creating the connection between the vision and the objective of the business and the vision and objective for the individual, and that's something we're putting a lot of intentional effort behind at the moment to say, right in this new world, this is where we're trying to go as an agency. This is what it looks like, and and providing the objective structures that means people can tie their own personal goals right the way up through the business to their managers' goals, team goals, country goals, right up to where, mm. you know, my goals and, and the high-level goals. And I think that's really important. And if we can get that structure in place and then incentivize around that and keep referring back to that, you know, that, that that's going to be the thing that helps people feel like this, what, what sounds like an exciting journey is actually going to be exciting for them, mm. uh, not just exciting for the business as a whole. And that, that's, that, 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 I think, is one of the most important things. Mm. Really interesting. Okay, let's get into our favorite questions now. We're fast running out of time. I haven't got you forever. <laughs> We've got a hard stop soon. Um, these are the questions that I ask all of my guests and I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. These are the questions like who's behind the brand sort of questions so we get to know you a little bit more. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. One of my biggest failings, this is not a career thing. This is a university thing. Um, I went for a role as, I can't remember what the role was, I think it was treasurer at my college uh, at university. Mm. And you have to do a thing called hustings where you, where you sort of like pitch for it almost. And I absolutely bombed. It was <laughs> awful. It was the mm. worst. It's one of the worst experiences of my life. Like I didn't know what I was saying. I forgot all my words. Oh, no. There was like a, a test where you had to like, you know, it sounds awful now, but you had to like down, down a pint and I can't down pints. That's not my thing. <laughs> so I was there sort of like stood in front of the entire college, just like lapping at this pint, um, sort of looking very forlorn. So so that was a, a very traumatic experience. But yeah. but but absolutely when it when it comes to everything I do now and leadership and the amount of public speaking I do and and you know, I, I learned so much from that. In particular, just being modest and humble and just, you know. Mm recognizing that you have failings and leaning into them really heavily yeah. um so yeah that was i'm still even now i come i come out in cold sweats just talking about it you're still getting over it yeah <laughs> um well i'm sure your friends help you to live it down they they, <laughs> they 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 i've got a nickname with some of my friends of lappy harps which comes from that <laughs> comes from that day so yeah they've, they've really let me live it down painful um Tell us about your mentors, early mentors and current mentors. I guess Clive is still a mentor um, to you, the founder of TMP, but tell us about some others and, and, and how they've guided you. 
Yeah, Clive, definitely. Um, I think some of my some of my best mentors have been clients. You know, I was quite fortunate early in my career to work closely with senior clients, like heads of marketing directors, even CMOs, um, a time when I was sort of not really qualified to do so. Um, and I think, you know, on the one hand, they saw potential in me and therefore they really, you know, gave me the patience I needed. But I just learned so much from just hearing them talk about what they care about. You know, I had a client, AXA Wealth, called Sarah, Sarah Lyons, who just, I learned so much from working with her um, and, and hearing how she was responding and thinking and the questions she was asking and, and how she talked about her objectives. Um, and I also worked really closely with um, someone who's now our chief client officer, a guy called Paul Everett, who has always been a sort of mentor to me, former boss of mine, um, who, you know, just just taught me to how to constantly challenge the status quo and think outside the box. And, you know, sometimes it gets absolutely infuriating when he does that because it's not a time to think outside the box, <laughs> but it it's just a reminder to always be thinking more radically about about how we can do things better. Mm, love that. Tell us about some of your favorite books, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Yeah, I'm not a big not a big nonfiction reader, but fi- but 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 there is one book that I do love from a nonfiction perspective, and I, get, I dip into it quite regularly. which is a book called Radical Candor. Mm, um, Kim Scott. Yeah, that's it. You probably you see, have heard of it, and and I just the principles of it. Mm. You know, I very rarely get past the first third because you don't think you really need to read that much more than that. But mm. um, the principles of it, I just believe in really strongly. Like the idea of how you how you are direct without being an asshole, I think is just really powerful, and it, it, it's it's what helps you get things done. So from a non nonfiction perspective, certainly that one. Have you mastered it? No, no, I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you ever. I don't think you it. can. Yeah, she also says uh, that in her book. Actually, she hasn't mastered it. But I self-reflect on it a lot. I think about it almost every day um, as to where could I have been more radically candid. Mm. Um, so I'm learning. Love it. Give us one more. Um, oh, a fiction perspective, um, which is m- much more my thing. I really like kind of just silly fantasy things. I've got, a, I'm rereading for the third time um, a Stephen King series called Dark Tower, which I got obsessed with as a kid and I absolutely love it. Just weird and I've heard of it. wonderful and you get absorbed in it. So it's my kind of escapism yeah. in day-to-day life. What's the most interesting thing that people don't know about your background? Oh, that is a good one. Um, you know, one thing that always surprises people, it's always a bit of a talking point, I sort of have quite a neutral accent, but I'm from I'm from Merseyside. That's where I that's where I was oh, born, where I grew up. Um, never thought. No, exactly, exactly. Because I it sort of I'm got from beaten Birmingham. out of me. Same thing. I'm well, from Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't have known that at all. Yeah, no, it wouldn't yeah. have been into that. Um, no, I I, I got, it's got sort of beaten out of me at university, uh, moving down <laughs> south. It was sort of not really the the thing to have a scout accent. Yeah. So that often surprises people because I you know like occasionally. It only ever comes out when, apparently, when I'm drunk or when I'm um, when I'm indignant, when I'm angry, which is not very often. <laughs> so uh, people rarely hear my scout side. Yeah, love it. What advice would you give to a young person or millennial? This is probably the advice that you're giving right now, actually, disc- uh, depending on um, considering what we've discussed about talent. But what advice would you give to a young person who wants to start their career in an agency, in a B2B agency? I think I think this probably applies to any agency, really. I think walk in, go, go into it with a, a kind of learning mindset. And what I mean by that is, I often when it, often during you know interviews with uh, graduates or people coming into the industry as a as a whole, um, you know they will say, "Yeah, I, I've decided I want to be a client services person, and that's that's what I want to do." Or, "No, I'm, I'm a creative. I want to be a creative. That's my that's my." That's my passion. That's what I've always wanted to do. Um, and I just think that's such a mistake because the agency world is so diverse. Mm. And if you if you go into it with that mindset, you might miss out on actually something that really does interest you more or play more to your strengths. And and also recognize that one of the strengths of agencies is you can often float around. You can be a copywriter, then you can be a client services person, then you can be a strategist. Um, and that's okay. You know, agency world allows for that. So I think a big mistake I see people making is is coming into it with an assumption of what they want to do. I think just mm. just enter the agency world and get as many different experiences as you possibly can. 
from different areas of focus and skills and capabilities mm. and, and then decide where you want to really focus your time. Mm. Absolutely love it. And my final question, Matt, what does you know about growing a B2B agency today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? There are always many more options for how to grow an agency than you even realize. And unless you talk to people about it and you get help and you get advisors, you just will not know what those options are. And I think I think that, you know, this last six months of learning about the private equity world, it's just blown my mind as to how many options there are for how we could go about doing it. And if we'd known about that five years ago, might have done this sooner, might already have be the leader and have achieved all of this. Mm. So I think it's that. It's, you know, don't trust one advisor or one person. It's, it's get as much advice and talk to as many people as you can about how what pathways you have to grow your agency. And and from there, you know, focus on the ones that appeal to you. Um, but unless you have the conversations, you won't know. Great advice. Great place to end. Matt, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. We have been speaking with Matt Harper. He is currently the CEO of The Marketing Practice. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 140 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in sales and marketing. Thank you for your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Annie Barber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Tyler Bala is our guest booker. Christoph Boaszczek is our head of production. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. Dealmasters.